the, I think the hard part is, is we never know what call is going to create a reaction for us, mm-hmm. when that's going to happen or why it's going to happen. And so that's sometimes the part that gets you guys the most. What's up, my brothers and sisters? My guest today is Dr. Carrie Ramella. We sat down and talked about some of the the mental health practices that we need to institute in order to survive and thrive on this job. You know, identifying the problem and understanding how we might build resiliency, um, the program that the IFF is running that they're presenting at Redmond this year. And uh, we talk about some practical elements of resilience and much, much more. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Gray. Here, we're going to talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fire ground. The views and opinions expressed are those of your host and the guests. Let's get started. I'm sitting with Dr. Carrie Ramella. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved with, um, you know, how you started Public Safety Crisis Solutions and how that's related to FireStrong, etc. So I have um, my PhD in psychology and I have my master's degree in counseling and uh, started with my bachelor's degree in psychology at ASU. I um, originally, when I went to school, I uh, was working for the city of Phoenix as a 911 operator for the Phoenix Police Department. And um, that was just a really good job to have while I was working myself through school and I ended up staying there for about 15 years, promoted within, and was an actual shift manager for the Communications Bureau. And at that point, I had done an internship with the fire department um, on the CR vans. And then fire asked if I would come over um, to work with them. And so I left the police department and came to work for the fire department. And then I um, started managing the um, CR program. Uh, so explain to those who are not initiated what the CR program is, kind of what, the, what it looks like. A so bit. the CR program was a crisis response program that we had um, in the Phoenix Fire Department that would take on interns and volunteers and grant-funded employees to um, serve the public, um, kind of that second level of customer service. So it was crisis response, and we would go to assist police and fire on scenes of calls. So that was kind of how, you know, I lived in the fire stations, learned about the calls you guys went on, you know, went on the same calls that you guys went on. So I got a really good understanding of what PD and fire did in the field. And so then it was always my intention that as much as I loved helping the public, that I really wanted to help those who helped the public. So I really wanted to focus my area of expertise on how do I help the public safety workers deal with what they deal with in the field. Which is what led you down the path of creating the the public safety crisis solutions? Yeah. So when I in you know just working with the fire department and being out there in the field, um, guys started coming to me for for help. And then when we had the four suicides um, in our department, the chief came to me at that time. It was Chief Khan and said, "I really need you to." Um, you know, try to help head up a task force so that we can start taking better care of our members. So the end of my career with the fire department was um, heading up member services and creating that division for the fire department, um, working with the union and and with the RBO committees um, to 
you know, figure out a game plan um, as to what we wanted to do. So then when I retired from the city, um, the union hired me back um, to still provide services. And that's when I created my company, um, Public Safety Crisis Solutions. And then I started consulting with the International Association of Firefighters, and um, I helped them with curriculum and uh, legislation, testimony, um, training, uh, serving on advisory committees. So it's given me a lot of good exposure, you know, internationally to where I can look at, you know, what's going on in different areas and try to bring some of that good back to our hometown and, and create better programs here. Right. So what are, what are some of the things that you are seeing as far as trends across the, the fire service, not just in, in our neck of the woods, but across the, the international level or national level, national, international. So, um, so basically, I think, you know, we've all, I think we've done a good job of identifying all the problems. So we've identified the problems. We've identified, you know, high rates of PTSD and suicide and depression and, and substance abuse. And, you know, we've identified, you know, the different um, things that lead to that, the cumulative stress, um, not just the critical incidents. Um, we've, we've identified the, the problems that occur um you know, in crisis situations. Um, and so we've done a good job of identifying what all the problems are. Um, then we started looking at, okay, how do we, how do we fix that? So now we, you know, we've started putting together all these programs to help fix some of those problems when they come up. So we've, um, we've, we've created peer teams and we've, um, created different, um, resources, different, um, identifying providers that can treat the types of um, exposures that our guys have from a mental standpoint. Uh, we, the IFF has um, partnered with a, a private entity to create the IFF Center for Excellence. So we have treatment center now for the fire service. So I think now, you know, we kind of did that. Okay, now how do we fix it? And so now I see us getting more into now we're going to actually look at prevention and protection. Um, so we've got the problem, we've got some of the solutions to the, once you have the problem, but now how do we prevent the problem from happening in the first place? Right. That's the part that I'm really excited about. Right. Um, and you know, for the most part, I think if you think of the fire service, we're kind of bad at prevention, right? <laughs> right. Well, we're very, I mean, what we do is very reactionary yeah. in our model, right? Yeah. We wait for the, we wait for the light bar to kick off and we respond and we go out and solve problems mm -hmm. and provide solutions and and get into people's business, but, but which, which kind of leads me to a question, which is when we're, when we talk about prevention, that's, we'll get into that, I'm sure. But how, how can I be reactionary? How do I identify I'm sitting in the firehouse and I'm looking at my backseat partner or whatever, how, what are some of the things that I need to be concerned about? You know, I had a friend ask me these, he said, ask Carrie if they have a, if you guys have a fog manual, right? We need, we need tools. What's the tool I can use to help me be able to figure out how best to help my partner and identify those. Cause I figure that the first thing is I have to be able to identify what's going on. Mm -hmm. So how do I identify what's going on? What am I looking for? So like one of the things that we talk about is, um, a lot of it is education. So we do need to get that word out and we have to get it. This has to be something that we look at from an organizational standpoint. Mm -hmm. But when we say that, what that means is, is that there's an individual responsibility in um, 
in that equation, there's a crew responsibility, there's a supervisor responsibility, a department responsibility, and then fire service as a whole, right? Yeah. So yeah. when we say organization, that's what we're looking it's at. It's all those tentacles. It's all of those things. Right. And you can't just, you know, you can't just rely on one of those um, parts of the entity to mm -hmm. fix everything or to identify everything. All that has to work together. So we have to train to that. And, um, so, you know, we kind of look at a, um, a wellness approach to that would be when we start in the academy, what are we teaching in the academy? So for us in Phoenix, the program we have is we go in and we teach them while they're in the academy. These are your resources. This is how you can take care of yourself. And then we teach them, you guys are your crew. You know, you're, you're a fire station, all of you in the academy. Who in this academy are you going to stick to like glue? And who is going to be your go-to person? Find that person while you're sitting in this academy class, and they're going to be your go-to person throughout your career. Right. You know, keep, keep in touch. You know, you guys need to use each other. Um, and then... Uh, we teach them suicide awareness. So we start teaching them, these are risk factors. This is what you need to look for in your career. I'm sure you don't get this right now because you're not even, you know, in the field yet. But th these are things you need to look for. These are warning signs. So can, we go can over you give me an all example that. of what some of those are? So we'll say what we're looking for is changes. Like, so you guys know how someone is. You know, what is someone's baseline? So when you're, you know, your friend, your your family your crewmate, your academy mate, what is someone's baseline? When you start seeing any changes in that baseline, you need to assess why is there a change? Is there a reason for it? Is it a temporary change? Is it becoming a long-term change? And the big thing is, is if you notice it, ask about it. So why wouldn't you? Just don't assume anything. So if you see a change, say, hey, something's different. What's going on? Do you need anything? Right. Simple conversation. Like, but we almost have to tell people it's okay to do that. Um, well, you know, I think there's, there's social rules, right? And right. so it's hard to breach those difficult subjects. And that, you know, that I always think to myself, like, how do I ask that hard question? Which is, what is going on in your life, bro? Like, what is really happening with you right now? Did you just have a bad night? Or, or is this a... You know, I'm seeing this repeatedly because I'm trying to pay attention, but I think that's, it's, it's contingent upon me being like really, uh, focused and, and aware, right. And empathetic mm -hmm. and understanding that there's something going on with my, with my partner here. How do I stay aware of that? Well, I got to be mindful of it. I can't just be caught up in my own head. I have to be looking at the people around me and actively kind of assessing every day and sizing up what's happening on a daily basis. And, and I think if you, you know, what I always tell everyone is you need to, if I just say, hey, how are you? You're going to be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thanks. Yeah. Right. So you have to, you know, what is it? Why are you asking the person that question? Mm -hmm. It's, hey, you know what? You haven't played basketball in two weeks and you always play basketball. What's going on? Be direct, open, and honest. You guys as firefighters are direct and open and honest in every other aspect, right? But when you're asking something personal or you're like, well, if he wanted me to know, he'd tell me, right. you know, but we have to, we have to just, you know, hit it head on and say, Hey, you know, you're in your room and you're not normally in your room. What's going on? Hey, you're, you know, you seem like you're not eating, um, 
you know, like you, you know, like you normally do? Are you feeling okay? What's happening? Like you need to actually say what it is. What's the change? What's the change you're seeing? And ask about that because then it's specific and they can't say, oh, I'm fine. Right. They go, oh, oh, that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that change? Oh, okay. Right. It actually puts the person into kind of a, a conversational corner right. or in context, right? Right. Gives them conversational context. Why are you asking this question? Right. You're actually looking for a real thoughtful response, right? Right. Yeah. So that that's kind of like a first stage. So we have to open that door while people are in the academy. We need to train to that. And then, um, and then what we do is the second level of that is once they are getting ready to, once they've been out on rotations, they've been in the field and they're at their second or third rotation, we bring two classes in together and we then do a real brief resiliency training. So now we say, okay, now you've been out there, you've been in these fire stations, what have you seen? And this is a very um, intimate training. It's just me and the probationary guys. There's no nobody else in the room so, so that we can get them, them to, to share. Really, yeah, you to know? really be open. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, so, you know, how was it out there? You know, was everyone positive? Did everyone love their job? You know, <laughs> was everyone physically fit? What what happened out there? Those, and it's and it's some loaded yeah, questions, Carrie. <laughs> right? And so then they, you know, it's like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, so if you don't want to be that person later in your career, what are you going to do right now to prevent that from happening? Um, and so then we teach them about some real simple um, resiliency tools that if they apply these things now, it is going to protect them and prevent them from having, you know, um, a hard time later on in their career in, in all different ways, whether that be um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, you know, but, but how do we, we teach that individually and collectively? So what are some of the things that you guys suggest that they, or what would I do to be resilient? So, I mean, what we, you know, the big thing, so we just created a, um, a new resiliency curriculum for the IFF. It's going to be an eight hour class. Um, the first class is going to be, um, actually this month, um, next week at Redmond symposium, they're going to, we're going to offer it for the first time. They're going to roll it out in January. But what we talk about is six concepts to resiliency. Um, the first one is positive thoughts. So we have to figure out how do we actually, get people to um, change the way they think and try to be more positive in the way that they think. The second one is having positive interactions. How do we create um, social connectivity and promote positive social connections? The third is um, positive emotions. So what we know is that if we, ha if we think positively and we have positive interactions, that we're actually going to create positive emotions. Those three things actually equal resilience. So how do we, it seems simple, but if it was that simple, we'd all just be happy, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's so it's not that simple. And what happens with time in our careers is we get very negative. Um, we get burnt out. We have compassion fatigue. We lose our empathy. You know, that is negative. All of that, that's negative thoughts, negative interactions, and negative emotions. And what the research shows is, is that if you have those three negatives, you will not be resilient. So we have to figure out how can we teach that practically because it's not looking at life through rose-colored glasses, but there right. are some actual practical ways we can practice that and build those skills, but it but you have to want to do it, you have to know to do it, and then you have to practice doing it. So those are the three concepts. And then after that, it's 
um, what do we do um, to counteract some of the things that you guys face? And so we need to figure out how do we neurologically reset you? How do we physiologically reset you? So we have a whole section on mind-body connection. What does that mean? And how do you do it and practice it? Um, and then after that, we talk about nutrition and exercise because it, you know, we are a whole person from top to bottom, inside and out. So how do we take care of ourselves that way? Um, and how does that change in our career over 25 or 30 years? And then the last one is spirituality. And, and that's going to mean something different for everyone, but it is a huge important piece of that whole puzzle. Yeah. So this is, um, this curriculum is getting rolled out at the Redmond Symposium. So it's going to be available to organizations to, um, how do they access it? So, um, in, so at Redmond, it's just, you know, whoever registered, it was, we did it as a pre-course and it sold out. And so we've got 45 people that are going to try it out and we'll see how it goes. Um, but when the IFF rolls it out, um, I think they're just going to roll it out where, you know, departments can choose to bring it, you know, to host it, and then they can invite whoever they want to attend it. Eventually, we're probably going to look at making it a train the trainer, maybe for peer programs where we can train the peers and then the peers could then um, break that out um, and, and teach their departments a module at a time, like in battalion training or something like that. Right. That's great. So let me ask you this. So in, between now and the time that every one of these agencies gets their hand wrapped around this curriculum and is able to break it out, what's some what's something uh, that that I can do today um, when I go back to my firehouse, you know, tomorrow and go to work? What are some things, some practical things that I need to be doing each day to to make myself resilient and to you know survive a little better? You know, when I, it's funny because I I try to. You know, a lot of my job is how do I take all this clinical stuff and break it down and make it really, really simple, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So there's actually two things. And I always tell everyone, if you do these two things, it really will make a difference. One is at the end of it. If you say eat salad all the time, you would be really ticked. (laughs) (laughs) That's not easy to do, right? Um, So at the end of every day. um, Or, you know, I always say, what are three three good things that happened today? So how easy is that for you to just, um, like get into a mindset and that could be as a crew. All right. What are, what were three good things that happened to us today as a crew, right? We can always pick out all the bad things and the negatives, but what are three good things that happened today? So you could do that individually as a crew, as a supervisor. Um, you could do that with your family. You know, I would do that with my kids every night before they went to bed. Tell me three good things that happened today. But just that little change in mindset makes mm-hmm. a big difference, right? So end your day on three positives. Okay. Um, the other thing is realize that get in tune with what is going on with your body. Um, and I, the one thing that I always tell my husband is, um, you know, stop, think, breathe and then react. Um, give yourself that moment in time. Um, because sometimes if we don't do that, you know, we say the wrong thing, we, we react, we regret, you know, we, we don't give a situation all the attention we need to. Right. Right. So stop, think, breathe, react. That's pretty simple. Breathe, react. I love that because I think about, um, you know, all the types of decisions we have to make, most of the time you have some discretionary time to be able to 
fully process, detach a little bit mm-hmm. from the kind of emotion of it and, and, and be a little bit more uh, pragmatic and thoughtful about what's taking place instead of just letting your emotions drive your response, um, which always, not always, I guess, yes. always is probably bad, but frequently yeah. ends poorly. And, and the reason that that's important for you guys in the fire service is because you don't train to, you train to do the opposite of that. So whenever you're on and what you're, what, what I find is, is that as your years of service increase, you're always on, whether you're on duty or off duty, um, you're the problem solver and your initial response is, I got to get there fast. I got to assess. I got to problem solve. I got to fix it. I got to move on. Well, that's not how everyday life works. So just ask my wife. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys have to figure out how to turn that off and how to turn that on. And, and that line gets blurred, uh, sometimes. So, so little steps like that to try to help you figure that part out. Nice. So going down the progression. So individually, that's, you know, something we can do. What are, what are things that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm my backseat partner. I is clearly struggling. They've identified that they're having an issue. They're like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm in the middle of a nasty divorce or I just, I don't know what's going on, but I just can't handle it right now. Um, you know, work is pissing me off or, or whatever. What's a, what's something that I can do as a partner, um, to help that guy or gal out when they're in that, that moment or they're struck, seem to be struggling with something. Right. So a lot of times, I mean, I think that's the other thing is you guys, um, if you see someone struggling, you want to fix it. And, and so that's what I'm asking. There's not always a way to fix it. Right. (laughs) So it's, Hey, I, you know, I can't, I know there's not a lot I can do, but I can listen. right? Right. So maybe it's, um, Hey, let's, let's get to work. 30 minutes early and, you know, fill me in on what's happening and you let them get it off their chest and then kind of get it out of their head and then they can move on with the rest of their day and they're not bringing it to work with them. So maybe it's just finding that extra 10, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to give time to somebody to be able to share what's going on in their head, let them get it out and then they'll move on from it. Um, Know what your resources are in your department, connect them to a peer um, there's peers out there that have been through the same situation, you know, similar situations and connect them to a peer, um, you know, recommend that they contact their EAP or, or go to counseling, you know, any, what I'd always say is anytime you're going through a, a relationship issue, a medical issue, you know, anything like that, you're stressed. If you're stressed, go to a counselor, they'll help you figure it out. Yeah. I feel like there's a big, uh, uh, shame cloud that is associated with seeking counseling or going and getting help. And I, I, I don't know how to express strongly enough that it's okay to go talk to somebody. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that's a part of that whole stigma thing. And I really see that that is changing. You know, I see Mm -hmm. that that's changing with education and when, when you promote it the right way, you know, in our department, we've been able to increase our utilization rates you know, three to three to four times from when, you know, we initially started all of our efforts several years ago. So I do see that more and more people are willing to reach out and to get help. And, you know, my hope is, is that we don't wait until we're, you know, at the should or should we, or shouldn't we get in a divorce, you know, like go early on, you know, and, and work out those issues. I mean, there's times in our lives that are, 
that are, you know, that are hard, right? If you've got a, a sick child, if you've got a teenage child, if you've got, you know, medical issues that are going on, if you're, you know, busy working overtime, going to school, you know, doing all these things, there's struggles. So, you know, if you guys can't find, you know, ways to communicate with each other, then someone can help you find ways to do that. Okay. Yeah. That's, and that's exactly right. Is having, you don't have all the answers, right? Right. As an individual, your experience, you know, I, I have zero experience with counseling, right? So I, my skill set is limited to what I've been exposed to and educated in. And there are so many things that I haven't, haven't had an opportunity to be exposed to. So you go seek someone out, like you, you take your car to a mechanic who knows the details of how to operate on your vehicle, right? You take your, when you have to have a, you know, I don't know, a hernia repaired, you go to a surgeon, right? So same thing with, with your, with your mental health is right. what I'm hearing you saying is, and I think is, you know, what I'm trying to you know reinforce is that it's, you have, it's okay to seek professional help to get your wheels back on the track, so to speak. Um, and I, and I just, I'm glad to hear, super glad to hear that the utilization of, of these resources is increasing because it's, it's, it's okay to get help. The, the call volume's not getting any better. The types of calls are, are, we're seeing all kinds of nasty stuff. You know, the, the insult that you're taking as an individual is brutal. Right. So getting someone to help you kind of, uh, process that and get it off your table, so to speak is important. And, and I think we have to, you know, I mean, I always tell everyone, you guys, you know, you guys have a, 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 a policy and a procedure here in, in Phoenix where you guys go to uh, have a physical every year, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, your brain is um, a huge part of your body. <laughs> it For runs, some of us. it some runs your so. <laughs> whole body, right? Like, so you want good brain health. So why wouldn't you assess? your brain every year too. And so right. I just keep trying to tell everybody mental health is, is just wellness, mental health and physical health go hand in hand. And you know, your body's not going to be the best it can be if your mind's not the best it can be. So, you know, you should be paying attention to that. Absolutely. And you know, you talk about the, you know, the health center that we have, and there's a lot of good resources that we have locally for, you know, in your experience, when you talk uh, to organizations that, you know, when I say that, I mean, like at the department level, mm -hmm. you know, what would you recommend for an, an agency that's out there that, um, doesn't necessarily have a program in place? What are some things that they can do to start heading down that path? So, um, you know, again, the IFF has, um, a huge amount of resources, but the NFPA has recently, um, updated their, um, their section on, um, on health, uh, behavioral health programs. Um, so there's a lot of really good information in the NFPA in the 1582 area. Um, and the IFF is building, um, they have a whole section now, a whole behavioral health section. They have two behavioral health health specialists that they've hired. So anybody that is looking for any kind of program uh, information can go to the behavioral health section of the IFF and they can get information there. Um, and I think, you know, for me, again, sometimes it, it takes you know, it takes a long time to get what you want your ultimate goal to be, but just remember that there's individual things that you can do too. So don't fall back on, well, my department doesn't offer me anything. 
um, you can help create things and you can take care of yourself individually and you can help with your crew, you know, so we can, it can be grassroots and it can grow. Well, I think that we have a great example of that right here in our own hometown, right? So Firestrong, it was a grassroots program mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you, you and a couple other folks identified that there was these issues and you said, well, hey, what can we do? Right. And you push it uphill to the organization and say, hey, you know, waving your hand, hey, guess what? Here's the situation you guys are dealing with. Here's what we know from our area of expertise. And so these resources are out there and available. Um, so how, so for example, Firestrong, we keep, I've alluded to it a couple times here. So how does Firestrong, um, how does it work and how do uh, individuals and organizations access it? So the Fire, the Firestrong website um, is, is accessible to anyone. So anyone can get on there and they can actually preview the information um, on Firestrong. And, and the, the premise of the, of the preview part of it is that there's just a lot of psychoeducational material and information that somebody can have access to. Um, if somebody looks at it and wants to become a member of Firestrong, so typically it's unions or departments that become a member um, of Firestrong, what that does is it gives you the opportunity to then create your own resource page on the website. So we have um, different tiles and different um, pods of information. So everybody can um, arrange those any way they want for their um their homepage on Firestrong, but but the 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 huge part of Firestrong is that then if you have a peer program, you have the ability to put all of your peers build a peer page for your program. So all of the information for all of your peers, a picture, a bio, their contact information, is then in the database and can be accessed by anyone. Um, and then on your own resource page, it's building a page that has links and PDFs and all kinds of information. So there's one place that your department goes to educate themselves on behavioral health and mental health issues, to take assessments, um, to find their particular resources that are specific to them, to locate a peer, to find a chaplain. Um, so anything they go to, you know, is there on that page. Um, then, um, you know, right now we have over, I think there's over 90 fire departments that belong to Firestrong and we have um, close to a thousand peers now on the website. And everyone that's a peer on the website is a peer to anyone. So you might not want to talk to somebody in your own department. You might want to talk to somebody from uh, a similar size department, um, you know, and so you go in and you do a search um, or you just want to find someone that is in AA or someone who's been through a divorce or someone who has four teenage daughters, whatever it is you're looking for, you can now do a search um, in that, in the peer section and find a peer to contact. Do you need, does your agency have to be a member of Firestrong to access that? So um, the peers are accessible, but their information isn't accessible unless you're a member. So okay. um, the each department or union that joins the website um, actually gets one username and one password for their entire department because we didn't want people to be able to monitor who's using the website and who isn't. So um, the thing that we protect on the website is the private information of the peers 
And then we have testimonials um, on there from different firefighters who've been through situations and were willing to share their stories. And we obviously wanted to password protect that information. So that is the only, those are the, the main things. Um, and then the demo page is really, you know, it has some restrictions on it, you know, but it allows a user to look at it to see if they're interested in having this um, for their department. I just, I, th I think about how, de how tender and sensitive it can be to share your heart when it comes to, uh, you know, the, uh, the work that we do and the struggles that you're having. And, and it's really amazing to me to have a resource that's available for members to reach out to somebody who has been trained and you know, we talk about the peer support piece mm -hmm. of it, who's been trained, has some, um, some real good awareness of what you might be going through. And then it has the, uh, the wherewithal, uh, you know, when you reach out to them to be, or to be present and to be available to you, you know, they've signed up to do this. They volunteered. They're an available person. You're not just reaching out to, uh, I mean, they're not saying this is not appropriate, but reaching out to a friend and just saying, Hey bro, uh, I need right. some help. Cause that yeah. person may not know what to do, may not have access to resources or what have you. So just having this as a tool where people are educated and trained and can get more information and are prepared to participate in this kind of way is really, really, uh, meaningful. And, and, uh, I just, I just love it. I'm, I'm and I think, you know, we've just seen it grow in so many different ways. We're now using the peers, um, as a part of our disaster response teams for the IFF. So, you know, for example, if you look at like what we went through in Las Vegas when we had the Las Vegas shooting. Mm. So we went out there to try to help those fire departments that responded to that incident. And one of the things we did was we brought some of our peers that we had trained before that um, had gone that were a part of the Pulse shooting in Florida. And we brought them in to help the guys in Vegas because they, you know, Could had relate. a similar story, right. right? And this, I mean, that was huge, like to build those bonds. So we're really using that and, and, you know, in, in so many different ways now, but, but the, but we'll send, you know, peers like right now we have, you know, peers in El Paso that are, you know, helping, you know, work on that shooting incident. So we're trying to make sure that we go in and say, Hey, we're here to help you in this crisis, but guess what? There's, um, there's a longer term, you know, um, help here too. You can reach out to peers at any time and really bring that knowledge base to them so that they have something to use later on as well. Yeah. So tell me, how is this different than uh, critical incident stress debriefing? So, um, you know, the, the research has really shown that, you know, Critical incident stress debriefing and, and management system. I mean, that was something that was developed, you know, 20 something years ago um, was when it became really popular. And, you know, at the time it was great. You know, it was what we had and, and it made sense. What I always try to tell everybody is, you know, like if you got cancer today, um, do you want the treatment that's out there today or do you want the treatment from 20 years ago? <laughs> right. So things have changed. We've learned a lot. Psychology is, 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 you know, advancing, um, every day, you know, it's one of our newer sciences and, and we're really looking at things with more research and, and from a more medical perspective now. And we've learned a lot. And what we've learned is, is that sometimes that, that, 
philosophy that went into critical incident stress management, which was, hey, everybody that was affected, let's get them together and let's get them to all say what they did, what they saw, how they're feeling, that that really isn't the best process anymore. Because um, one, it became something that was mandatory and anything that's mandatory isn't looked on fondly. Um, Two, it was too structured. And three, um, we were finding a lot of secondary trauma. You know, there's like vicarious and, and secondary trauma that was going on because I I didn't need to know what, you know, Your pers- Joe what said. You saw. Yeah, yeah, right? Like I didn't see that. I didn't need to know that. And so now um, in some respects, it was supposed to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Well, maybe I didn't want that piece of the puzzle. So we actually found that sometimes that wasn't the healthiest way to go about things. So with a peer support concept, what we do is um, we bring, you know, your peers in and your your peers are going to basically just say, hey, how are you doing? Um, You guys went through, you know, a traumatic incident. We can't imagine what you're going through. You're all going through something different. We just do some education. We talk to them about you know, different things that might happen, how they can support each other, what their resources are, what they need to look for, who they can reach out to, and just kind of, you know, get, just have a conversation. It's very informal. And then we kind of look at, is everybody okay? Um, We look for what some of those warning signs are. Um, and, And then we say, if anyone needs anything individual, we've got counselors here for you. Um, we've got peers here for you. If you want something one-on-one, reach out to us. Or if we see something while we're in that group, we will reach out and, and try to do some one-on-ones. So it's not that structured, um, mandatory group share um, right. when you don't want to share and hear what you don't want to hear. Right. I like that. How do uh, how can we access that? Like, What, what do we... Um, I know in our neck of the woods, we, you know, as a company officer on a fire truck, I can flag an incident as a, as a high stress incident. Um, is that, you know, and obviously in our system that kind of pipelines it and works for it. I'm in an agency that doesn't have that kind of system available. You know, what do I do to, to process? How do I, you know, so that's, you know, that's one of the things that we talk about, you know, that's one of our recommendations in creating a behavioral health program is looking at, you know, identifying particular calls that could be what we consider high stress incidents and, and coming up with some type of a system to where you can flag those calls, you know, and basically look at those calls as exposures. So just like any working fire that you go to or hazmat situation, we have a process that's an exposure. Well, we should be looking at some of these calls that we know can be, um, you know, any child, you know, related code or pediatric drowning, you know, we know those are high stress incidents. So if we know that, why aren't we doing something about it? So there's certain ones that would be very simple for us to flag, think of them as an exposure and do a follow up on them. That right there, that phrase, look at it as an exposure really, um, strikes me as important because you think about I've over the years I've ta- I, I've framed it in my mind like a table that's getting a lacquer put on it. You just keep adding layers mm-hmm. of lacquer and mm-hmm. it just builds up, builds up, builds up until you have this like thick, heavy plaque that has built up. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's just those repeated exposures. And we you know pretend they're not there and we move on. And and so I think yeah, it's really 
I like that way of framing it, you know. The, I think the hard part is, is we never know what call is going to create a reaction for us, mm-hmm. when that's going to happen or why it's going to happen. And so that's sometimes the part that gets you guys the most because you're like, I've been on a thousand of these calls. Why is this one getting to me? Right. And and that's that, that cumulative effect that we've talked about. Well, what we have found though is, is, okay, so since we don't know, if we build in this mechanism of let's just check on people, then we might get that person that that one time it was the call that hit him and now he has a connection and can talk about it. Um, the other thing that we've seen is now that we've started the process, now guys are self-identifying, you know what, this call did affect me and hey, Tommy's called me before, so I'm going to call Tommy and talk to him. That's the whole process. That's building those social connections and having those positive connections, knowing there's someone I can call and talk to and just say, hey, I don't know why this call's bugging me. What do you think? And it's just talking about it. Right. Do you feel that just having that conversation kind of unloads the stress and and, and and that's got to be really a, a huge part. What percentage of your mental healing and health is related to just talking it out? Well, and a lot of times too, it's not even a call. It's, you know, I went on this call, but you know, that's not what's getting me. It's that, you know, my wife X, Y, and Z or my kids or this is going on or my captain or this station, right? Or this policy and procedure. And so it just is a venting, you know, like opening that doors. And and that's what peer support is about. It's mm-hmm. not about just the call. It's about life. Right. And so get so opening that door to where we have those support systems and that mechanism and that connectivity so we can share that information has made a huge difference. Right. No, that's great. So as you're building out this program and as you're thinking about, you know, all these, it's got to be hard. And I'm just going to say it like this, dealing with everybody else's shit, <laughs> right? It's heavy. And uh, so what keeps you up at night? Oh, um, well, I can tell you, like... I, I can tell you that I, when I go other places, it's good for me because it puts in, you know, like I always want more here, right? Like I, I always, you know, we're fighting for more. We need this. We need that. I wish we had this. I wish we had that. Right. And so going somewhere else, then sometimes I'm like, wow, okay. You know, they, we, we we're good, you know, like we should be thankful for what we have. So I think that's part of it is that I always kind of bring back something like that when I visit somewhere else, or I, I get a great idea and say, Hey, let's work on, let's bring this back to our department. Cause we don't have this. Right. There's a hole in our game. So I think for me, like yeah. I, I like that aspect of sharing and, and figuring and being thankful. Um, I think the hardest part of my job is there is a personal connection. Um, I am absorbed into the system. And so um, I, when someone wants help, I, you know, that's personal. I want to help them. And so it's different than if I was just a counselor in an office and had, you know, 15 patients coming in and out all day long. Um, There's, there is definitely a connection. So I think that that's something I always have to work on is, you know, um, you know, making sure that, that I am 
healthy and that I do have good boundaries, right? (laughs) Um, that I have boundaries and that, you know, I, you know, have parameters so that, you know, people are getting, you know, the proper care from the proper person. And, you know, I think, you know, to me, I want, I want, I want to always have a good outcome and I know that isn't always going to happen. So that's hard. Yeah. 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 You can't, you can't save everybody. Right. Sometimes you, yeah, yeah, it's bad, but I think we're making really good progress and, and, um, I really appreciate you sitting down and and sharing with us the, you know, the processes that we have in place and some of the things that we can do as individuals. If, uh, if somebody wants to reach out and, and get more information, um, from you or from Firestrong, what, what are some, what are those resources that they can tap into? Where would they go? Um, so on Firestrong, there's a contact us so they can, um, you know, ask any questions on Firestrong. uh, What's the web address? Firestrong.com? It's probably info at firestrong.org, I think is the, um, contact us in, um, email. Um, and, um, firestrong.org is the website. Um, my personal website for my business is, um, PS crisissolutions.com and um, there's a contact me on that website as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Carrie Ramella. I really appreciate your time and, and, and appreciate all the work that you're doing for and on behalf of all of our guys and gals out there. It's really important and appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. Special thank you to our guest, Carrie Ramella today for sitting and taking time out of her busy schedule to give us some pointers and some thoughts on how we might uh, not only survive our career, but actually thrive. And my, my humble request is that we look at each other and we look toward each other in this brotherhood and this sisterhood and try to find ways to support and sustain and care for one another. There's nothing more important than the love that we have for each other. Uh, we have got to uh, be looking out for and taking care of each other. So that's it. Go out there, look after your brothers and sisters and uh, get some.